As we uh, get ready to get into God's Word, I want to have us consider something. There's a lot of, lot of reasons that potentially brought you to church this morning. I, I suppose if we were able to kind of peel back the layers of our hearts individually, there'd probably be a collection of reasons as to why you sit in this room this morning. You know, it could be that your mom wants you to be here, right? It could be that your parents want you to be here and so you're here. It could be that you're invited by a friend. Like it could be that you know it's the right thing to do, you know, even though you didn't feel like it. It could be that your heart is really in a place where you just are excited to be with God's people. And among all the things that can motivate us, maybe I'll just kind of ask some questions. Like did you hear, did you come here this morning like longing to hear from God? Uh, did, you, did you come here this morning like expecting to hear from God? Not just in a, in, a, in a sort of a feeling sort of way, but to really encounter him through his word. And in this psalm, in Psalm 119, like some 60 times, the psalmist asks for help from God to do the things and to pursue the things that please him. And that's not even to mention the various ways in which he recounts the ways that God has already acted and one of the constant refrains is this phrase, give me life. Give me life. Give me life. Particularly according to your word. And I just, I want to kind of just kind of push on all of our hearts just and ask you to maybe bow your head with me for a second. Because I want us to come to God's word hungry to hear from him. And I want us to come to God's word expectant to encounter him through his word. And I want to read a few Verses from Psalm 119 that repeat that refrain of give me life and I'll personalize it for us as a body and to give us life. God, this is our prayer, I pray. Our soul clings to the dust. Give us life according to your word. Turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and give us life in your ways. Help us long for your precepts and in your righteousness give us life. In your steadfast love, give us life that we may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Although we might be severely afflicted, give us life, O Lord, according to your word. Hear our voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice, give us life. Plead our cause and redeem us. Give us life according to your promise. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give us life according to your rules. Consider how we love your precepts and give us life according to your steadfast love. God, we look to you now, opening your word, unfolding it as the psalmist says, that it might give us light, that it might give us life, that you might reveal yourself through it, that you might reveal things about us, that we'd see ourselves more clearly as a result of being in your word this morning. And as a result, that we'd see the brilliance of the love and the grace and the goodness of God. Help us to long for you in ways that we didn't when we walked in this room. We long to be changed by you. That we long to have our hands loosened from the dust and have our eyes moved from worthless things to be fixed on eternal things. And we need your help. The psalmist isn't unique in calling for your help. We need your help to give us life according to your word. And if there's anyone in this room 
that that whole concept seems foreign to them. And there's really no lack, there's no, there's no desire for you that I pray that you create from a, a heart of stone, a heart of flesh, to allow them to receive the word of God, that it might give them life. We love you. We thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And we look for that light this morning now as we do each Sunday together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 119. It's right around the middle of your Bible. I don't know what page, but if you put your hand in the middle of your Bible or the Bible uh, in the chairs in front of you, you'll probably land in Psalms, and Psalm 119 is the biggest in that book, and so your odds are pretty good. So Psalm 119, 176 verses we talked about in various ways. Almost every single verse talks about the beauty and the wonder of the Word of God. And so maybe we could ask the question, like, what does it look like when we delight in, when we delight in something? When you delight in something, how much you know that you delight in that thing? Maybe time spent? Maybe just a particular feeling? A passion for something? Like you want to be close to this person or this thing, you want to experience it again. And it might surprise you that, that this psalm is littered with the picture of delight. That being a people of the Word of God, walking in the Word of God, is not relegated just to an academic exercise or even just a choice to do the right thing. That it's actually for the child of God should be an increasing delight to us a joy to our hearts, something we overwhelmingly rejoice in. And that's where we're going to focus this morning. And as we think about the, the idea of delight, let me just say this at the outset. When we talk about delight, delighting in the Word of God is to delight in the God of the Word. We talked about that in the first message. Like, am I going to the Word of God to, to find the God of the Word? So we talk about delight in the word of God, we're talking about delighting in the God of the word, the one who is revealed. The light shows us who he is when we unfold his words. So this song, quite, this psalm quite literally is not just a song to God, it's an interaction for the psalmist with God. And let me just illustrate that through just even grammatically. The, the word you or your is used 249 times in this psalm. 249. There's 176 verses. You can do the math. That means in several verses, you and you are used in multiple places. Why is that important? Because this is an exchange between a servant and his king, a child with his father. Like this is a, re a relational book. This is an encounter with the living God. And so it's important for us to realize this is not just an academic exercise. It's not just a choice to do the right thing. This is us desiring to delight in the God of the word through his word revealed to us. Verse 14 in Psalm 119. I'm going to survey a lot of verses this morning, so most of them will be on the screen. It says, in the ways of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches, Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy 
of my heart, that picture of great spoil. I think of like my children and I think about us. Like what if we were so captured by the word of God that we find things in it. We clamor to go tell our friends, like look what I've found in here. This is so encouraging. This is so wonderful. This encourages me so much. Like it really ministers to me. Let me show you, right? Because when we find great spoil, we delight in something, right? Delight isn't fully complete until it's expressed, right? So we're a people given to delight in the word of God. And the psalmist declares God's word is a delight. God's word is a delight because God himself is a surpassing delight, a greater, a better joy than anything the world has to offer. To delight in the word is to find the source of supreme satisfaction. The first week we studied Psalm 119, we looked at the blessing of walking in the word, right? The very beginning of the psalm, blessed is he, blessed is the one who walks in the word of God, that the the blessing falls to the man or woman who walks in the ways of God. There's blessing there. There's an an internal revival that happens in the the child of God walking in the ways of God. There's blessing there. We looked last week at the, the diligence required to walk in the word of God. And so this morning, what we need to do a little bit is kind of distinguish between just general blessing and delight. And maybe I'd say it this way. The difference between the blessing found in walking in the ways of God and the delight we are to have in the word of God is the difference between effect, like cause and effect, and affection. So there's an effect that the word of God has on us as we submit our our life and our ways to him. There's blessing found there. There's comfort in affliction. There's strength and hope in the midst of difficulty. There's an internal revival that happens. But there's not just an effect in a cause and effect way. There's, a, there's an increasing affection. Like we love God. We love his word. And it captures our hearts with energy and with zeal. To where we want to be more like him. We want more and more to, to be with him in his word. And the verses we looked at last week, you can go there with me. We looked at 9 through 16. We'll read verses 14 through 16 real briefly here because the word delight is used twice in these brief few verses. Verse 14 says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So it seems, seems to me there's an inescapable link between walking in the word, which leads to a tangible experience of the blessing of God, this inward revival, which then results in an increasing delight in the word. And so what's interesting about this is that you could say, I think, very confidently that diligence cultivates delight. Diligence, which we talked about last week, meditation and memorization, Walking with God with diligence, consistency, actually cultivates delight. We walk in the word because it's our delight. And we delight in the word because we walk in it. It's like this circular relationship. Let me just say that again. We walk in the word because it is our delight. And we delight in the word because we walk in it. And if we're honest, I don't think we like to think about delight as something that comes as a result of discipline or diligence. After all, like shouldn't, this might be what we feel. After all, shouldn't delight be just a little more raw? Like driven by 
feelings, like maybe just a little more organic, emotional even. It just comes more freely, naturally, and to some degree that may happen. But let's play that out. Let me just ask, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I know it's a little bit dangerous, but we're going to do it together because I think we'll be in the same boat. How many of you have ever experienced a lack of delight in the Word of God? Okay, all right. If you didn't raise your hand, may the Lord have mercy on you. (laughs) Just kidding. So how many of you this week experienced a lack of delight in God's Word? There's probably a moment. I'm assuming we're all of us like felt the, the need to be with God through his word, but we, we lack the delight to go do that. How many of you have ever chosen to go to God's word despite how you feel? It may be that that experience, that last one I mentioned, like the many times, I know I've seen this many times in my life, I mentioned this a little bit last week, when you choose to go be with God, to encounter him through his word when you don't feel like it. It may be that that experience of being surprised by delight when you don't want to go, that actually cultivates a life given and expecting that same experience time and time again. And why should we not experience that time and time again? God promises that he's found here Let me unfold your word that through it there might be light. Open my eyes to wondrous things through your word. That's some of the words from the psalmist. God uses those moments of obedience to increase our faith and our ongoing expectation of God meeting us where we are. And love, it's not very hard to picture this because love culturally is often kind of reduced down to an emotional experience, right? An emotional disposition towards someone or something, right? So we live in a casual culture that treats love as if it's just an emotional posture, a feeling that we have. Now, it's not void of feeling, but love ultimately is a choice. And so is delight. To delight in God, I would say time and time again, is a choice to delight in him, a choice to choose him over fleeting pleasures, fraudulent joys, temporary pluses in this world. What would your closest relationship look like if you only love based on how you feel? I'm just going to answer it for you. It wouldn't be very good. If Haley only loved me when I was lovable, like it'd be, it'd be rough going for me, tough sledding for sure. So we can, we can play that out and understand that like, yeah, love and delight can't be reduced down to just mere feelings, right? What if you waited for delight to take intentional steps to serve, to, to be with someone? And delight is more than just a feeling or emotional disposition. And I would say what we see in Psalm 119 is delight is born out of, it's a choice born out of desperation. Family, every single one of us, no exception, we are desperate people. If you don't feel it, I'm sorry, you are desperate before God, desperately in need of him. 
more so than you understand. I'm in need of God desperately more than I comprehend. So are you. And God is supremely more delightful than we ever imagined. But we're too easily satisfied with the things of this world. That's why you hear the psalmist say, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and let me find life in you. Because our eyes are so easily captivated by lesser things. And choosing out of obedience and faith to pursue God through his word will cultivate the very delight you feel is absent, that you so desperately long for, a choice to go to God by faith, expecting that he's going to work, even when you don't expect it, even when you don't want it. Choose him. Choose his word, despite how you feel. When you're void of delight, it's then you need to go to God the most. Psalm 119, verse 77, Let your mercy come to me, that I may live for your law is my delight. You hear the desperation in that? Lord, let your mercy come to me that I may live. That refrain of give me life. Give me life. What's the antonym of life? It's death. You drift away from the word of God and the God of the word. There is no life found there. And I've preached this many, many times in many places in the Bible is our primary problem as people ever since day one with Adam and Eve is we try to find life in places where only death is promised. And that will be our problem here. That'll be our constant struggle. And this psalm reminds us is delight in God. He's where life is found. Delight in his word. That's where life is found. Cry to him to increase your desire to find life in him. Where you find yourself weak, it's good to acknowledge that you're weak. Where you find yourself not desiring in the word of God, then, then acknowledge you don't desire to be with him and go anyways and watch him work because he infuses the, the humble with his grace. But give me life, give me life, give me life. Our sense of desperation is more acute in the midst of difficulty and it protects and we get protected and strengthened by the word of God in difficulty. In verse 92, this Psalm 119, it says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Verse 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. And delighting in the word cultivates stability. Delighting in the word cultivates Stability, verse 165, says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Do you feel unstable this morning? Circumstantially, relationally, financially? There are various things that you in your mind, that I in my mind, want to deem as a solution to that instability. It doesn't mean that God won't change your circumstances. It doesn't mean there won't be some worldly situation that comes about that provides a solution to that. But the ultimate solution to your instability is to find stability in God. 
in his word. Who are the ones who never stumble? Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Trouble and anguish have found me out. They abound, but your commandments are my delight. There's nothing indicating in those situations that circumstances have changed. But the thing that is steady and stable and pushed way down deep in the psalmist's heart is a love for the word of God and the God of the word. And you'll never, you'll never graduate from that as a believer. You'll never graduate from your desperate need to, to need more of God and to need more of God's word. I was, as I was praying this morning, I pray I'm not given to hyperbole, like just for the sake of illustration, but I've, as I've thought to myself, like being in this psalm for the last few weeks and having spent a lot of time in it over the years, um, there's, there's a way in which I feel like these few messages, maybe even coupled with the end of Second Peter, have been among the most important messages I could ever preach. Because outside of just community and the family of faith and the role that the body of Christ plays in your life, there's simply no replacement to being with God in his word for the sake of your own soul. And the best that we can do as pastors is to get up here and unfold the word of God to tell you what God says and commend you to go home and day by day for your own heart, with your family, to unfold it for yourself and to find wondrous things in it for the sake of your own soul. And I pray that we be found as a people who just root our lives deeply in the word of God and the God of the word. And that's where we'll find stability. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Delighting in the word cultivates stability. And one of the things we see in this psalm as well, I think we know we experience in our own lives, just even answering that question earlier, like how do you know you delight in something? We long for what we delight in. We long for what we delight in. If there's a true delight in something or in someone, then there's a longing. There is an emotional experience of like, man, I just can't wait to, I just can't, I can't wait to get back to. And there's that same experience with the word of God. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now I know, you're thinking to yourself like, that is not me. I don't feel that way. That's part of the reason this psalm is so fruitful. Because you read it, it's like, holy cow. My soul is crushed with longing after your rules at all times. Like, one of the things I've never said about my own heart. But it's some of the reason this is so helpful. Because it gives vocabulary even to the desire. Like, what does it mean to want to desire God? It means that my soul will be crushed with longing after his law at all times. It's mind-blowing. But that is a worthy prayer for the people of God. Like, God, consume my soul with a hunger for your word. That's a worthy prayer for the rest of your life, for the rest of my life, to say, increase my longing for your word. And every single one of us needs that. I'm sure of it. I'm acquainted enough with my own heart. I'm acquainted enough with you. Like, I know it to be true. Like, we need more of God's word, and we need more of a longing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you see this same word used in the New Testament of 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn infants long for 
the pure spiritual milk, the milk of the word, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Make it your meditation. Memorize it, right? Write it on a card and put it in your car. Study it. Think about it. Tumble it around all the time. Keep it in front of you. Psalm 119, I think it's verse 131. I forgot to write it down in my notes. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. We long for what we delight in. This is biblical desperation. My soul is crushed with longing for your ordinances at all times. They guide, they protect, they comfort, they make me wise, and in them I find great wonder. I think we think about the connection between delight and discipline or delight and diligence. I think we're hesitant to make that connection as clearly as this psalm makes it. There's a way in which your delight in God will be dependent on your discipline and your diligence to go, even void of the feeling to want to go. Hear that clearly. Don't wait for the subjective sense of wanting to be with God. Because quite honestly, it may never come. And if you're here this morning and this is all new to you, you're not even quite sure what I'm talking about. You you know a little bit about Jesus, but you've never really given your life to him. Certainly this is true of you. If you're expecting to get some sort of feeling from God in order to draw near to him, let me just right now stop and just commend to you, move toward him while you have time. And any sort of inclination that you may have to move toward him is only by the grace of God. But when he moves close to you and pulls you closer to him, respond while you still have time. Respond in humble repentance to say, I want to stop living for myself and I want to live for you. We're going to take communion in just a moment together as a family. And I want to pause this for a second because I want to share really clearly the, the, the message of the gospel with anyone in this room who's not a Christian. I am so grateful that you're here. I was in your shoes 20 plus years ago in a church. I wasn't a Christian. And I found myself in a place where I understood for the very first time that I was separate from God. I understood the reality of my 20 years given to myself and chasing after the world. That it, had, it had made me separate from God. There's a problem in my heart and a problem with my actions that fractured my relationship with God. And I began to understand just the wonder of grace. I say this often, that you see these words, mercy and grace in the Bible. And mercy is God actively withholding from us what we actually deserve. The Bible says that because we have violated God's law, every single one of us, that we deserve justly his wrath because of our disobedience. And the miracle of the gospel is that God has withheld from us what we actually deserve, namely his judgment. And he's poured it out on his own son. This cross stands behind me as the emblem of that sacrifice that Jesus took on the full weight of the wrath of God due to your sin and heaped it upon his own son. He quite literally became like a sponge to soak up the wrath of God. Then he actively pours out on you his grace, which is him giving you what you don't deserve. He withholds from you the judgment you deserve. He gives to you what you don't deserve, namely forgiveness and righteousness. That one day when you stand before God 
And if this is true of you already, then just enjoy this reality. When you stand before God, you don't have to worry about whether or not your good outweighs your bad. It never could. And when you stand before God, you will be clothed in a foreign righteousness given to you through the perfection of Jesus Christ. Because in this miracle called the gospel, this exchange, Jesus was treated as if he lived your sinful life. So at the end of your life, you get to be treated by God as if you live the perfect life of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Believe in it for salvation today. Believe in Jesus for salvation and increasingly make him your delight in this life. And if that's you this morning, you have freedom to come to the table in just a moment. And I'll close with this thought. A delighting in the word will motivate us to be led by the word. It's not merely just an experiential delight that we do have a, a passion and a joy stirred up by being with God in his word, but delighting in the word will actually motivate us to be led by the word. There's a few places I'd point to in this psalm. Verse 35 says, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. Verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. They're what teaches me. It's verse 24. And this reflects a delight that isn't just an experience, but it leads to action. So if we delight in God, we delight in his word, then it changes the way that we live. It changes the choices that we make. It changes the things that we put before our eyes, the things that we meditate on. It changes us. So significantly, the New Testament gives the picture that we're new creations. Old things have passed. New things have come. There's a new uniform you put on. It's been fashioned in the image of Jesus, and you're called to put off the old and put on the new. We talk about that time and time again, preaching the New Testament, because it's all over the place. As we go into this time, I think we have to be confronted just like we were in week one with feelings like this, like God has not been my delight the way that he should be. I have not followed God's direction for my life. I've been tangled up in lesser temporary satisfactions. I don't long for the things of God. I've created a garden of instability through all of my independence. I've not sought God the way he deserves. I've not walked in his word or in his ways. There's various ways all of us, this would be an apt description of us. But one thing I said in week one that I'll say again this morning is we need God's help to walk in the word. Do you feel that? Like you desperately need the help of God to walk in his word. But we also have the grace of God when we don't. That's the wonder of being forgiven through the blood of of Jesus. And so feel rightly, feel the motivation that comes and like, God, I don't desire you the way that I need to, the way that you deserve. Help me to delight in you more. Help me to desire you more. Acknowledge and confess and repent the ways that you haven't. And just throw yourself upon the grace of God. I want you to bow your head with me as we get ready to take communion together. Communion gives us a chance to examine our hearts and one of the things that we're called to do in 1 Corinthians is to, is to do just that, to examine our hearts and see if there be any sin that we need to confess, we need to agree with God that it's wrong and 
that we need to repent of, which means to turn away from it and follow God. Take a minute and examine your heart. God, as we as a, a church family set aside this time to come to your table, to take communion, I pray that we would be, uh, we would be confronted by uh, our failure and that it would remind us of just the wonder of your grace that picks us up in the midst of all of our failures and failing day by day. And, and I pray that we would examine our hearts well, honestly and humbly. And having placed our trust in Jesus, that we can come to this table, um, acknowledging as a family together that our only hope is in Christ, that our only solution to our problem of sin is found in Jesus alone. And I pray that you'd increase our delight in the good news of the gospel, that you've not dealt with us according to our sin or rewarded us according to our iniquity, but as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sin from us. So when you deal with us, you deal with us as sons and daughters, not as enemies, not as strangers or aliens, but part of your family. Let me thank you. We bless your name. What else can we say? But thank you, God, for doing what we could never do on our own. We marvel at your grace and we, we bless you this morning.